0: Well, amen. Thank you, ladies. beautiful song and very well done. We appreciate that. Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, turn with me to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 16. It's great to be in church today. To be able to fellowship with God's people, with Christian friends, have a church family. And aren't you glad we get to worship in freedom? Amen. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse 25, just a moment, and read just a few verses there. Acts 16, verse 25, when you found your place, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. We'll have prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse 25. So let's pray first. Father, how we love you today, how we do thank you so much for the precious freedom and liberty that we have, Lord, we thank you for this country uh, though, though far from perfect, uh, Lord, we still praise you for uh, establishing and giving us this lighthouse among nations, the land of the free, the home of the brave. We thank you for America. We thank you for the privilege we have to gather in freedom, to worship you, to hold your word in our arms today, in our, in our hands, and to be able to read it and, and follow it freely. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of of knowing and loving you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And we do ask that you'd bless the reading of your word this morning. We pray you'd speak to our hearts, make the message personal, and help us, Lord, as we share it with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. The Bible says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes And was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What a great story. Paul said in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What a great message. I want to preach a message this morning that I've entitled, In... And on. And we're going to talk about the difference today. Thank you so much. You may be seated. It's a simple message believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to take a moment and look at the difference between believing in and believing on. I want us to look at two parts of the text today as we look at this passage of Scripture. We find Paul has been in prison for preaching the gospel. And while there, he and Silas decided to praise God that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for his namesake. That's a response, I'm afraid, many of us modern Christians would be hard-pressed to reach. But they rejoiced. They praised God and they sang praises to his name. And in response, God shook the prison house. The Bible says the foundations were shaken. The prison doors were flung open. Hey, that was, that was some earthquake. You know, it'd take the Lord to do that, wouldn't it? To shake it just enough to set everybody free, but, but not hard enough for it to collapse on them. Boy, God's good. A testament to his name. The jailer, supposing that everyone had fled, knew that his life would be on the line, and he would be held accountable for all those prisoners. And so he was about to use his own sword on himself. But Paul, knowing this custom and knowing that would be his reaction, cried out and said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. You just have to be amazed at this moment. Something got the attention of all of those criminals to the point that even though the prison doors were opened, they didn't try to escape. Because they were too focused on what was happening in the midst of the prison. Being captivated by what Paul and Silas were doing, they chose to hang around and see what happened next. The jailer comes in and he asked a question, and this question probably rings out throughout time. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow, what a question. That question's been asked many times. There was a young man that came to Jesus and asked a similar question. His point was the same. What do I have to do to be saved? Can I say to you this morning, we are dealing in this text with the question and the answer. I'm glad Paul had an answer. And we're going to talk about the answer in a moment, but first let's look at the question. What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer really is nothing. If you circle the word do right there, there's nothing that you and I need to do physically. There's no work. There's no requirement. There's no action that needs to be taken on our part for salvation to occur. Praise God for that. And the reason there is no work for us to do is because Jesus did it all on the cross. Somebody said one time, you can divide all the religions of the world throughout all time into two categories. Those that say you have to do something to be saved and those that preach that it's been done. Finished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, Paul was in the latter category. Done. It's been done. There's nothing left to do. So when he gave him the answer, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who bought our salvation. The work's been finished. I want to look at this question and ask a question. How hard is it to be saved anyway? And how hard do we want to make it to be saved? Because I'm afraid sometimes we do that. We make it more difficult than it is. Uh, somebody said one time, you know, this, this believe on the Lord, that sounds like easy believism. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Uh, simply because I believe that whole tag is really a misnomer. If you're not careful, you, you really can do some damage to the doctrine of salvation By using terms such as these, easy believism. Well, let me ask you, is salvation meant to be hard? Why would we criticize salvation by grace with a derogatory term like easy believism? As if it's supposed to be hard to get saved. How many of you want it to be hard to be saved? I didn't think so. Especially when you're praying for your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers. Boy, we don't want it to be too hard for them, do we? So we need to pay attention how we we treat salvation, how we talk about salvation, and the words that we use to describe it. What is easy believism anyway? Well, some people say, you know, it's a cheap prayer. And they use expressions like, you know, that one, two, three, pray after me stuff. All right? Now, look, I, I understand that you, you can't get a person saved by just having them repeat the words of a prayer. There's a, you know Our Catholic friends are, are caught up in a lot of that, and I know they're very sincere about it, but we know that the prayer is not magic. And it's not really about repeating a set of words. That's not what saves you anyway. Amen? We are all on the same page about that, right? Hey, it's not the prayer that saves a person. It's the one we pray to. Jesus saves. It's not the prayer that saves, right? It's not the person who's, who's leading in the prayer that saves. Jesus saves. And we have to understand that. There's no, there's, we call it the sinner's prayer, but there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. We went through a series recently on Wednesday nights looking at people who got saved in the Bible. And you know, they all prayed a different kind of prayer. Some of them weren't really a prayer at all but it was a way of calling out to the Lord and asking for salvation, they each one just kind of put it in their own words. And that's exactly the way God meant for it to be. That's why there's no prayer like that in the Bible. God never intended for us to be just repeating prayers. Now, I don't think it's uh, necessarily wrong to help someone pray who maybe doesn't know how or maybe, maybe uh, uh, you know, is, is shy about doing that in front of someone, but would like to be saved as long as they understand what they're doing. You know, to some people, easy believe is, is just an idea that you can walk up and talk to a stranger and they can, they can get saved right there. Believe it or not, there are some well-meaning Christians who just don't believe it can happen that way. But it can. Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know, Jesus just walked up to her. He had a conversation and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And there's no doubt about that in Scripture. This lady was saved. She went back to town and said, Hey, I met a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And she brought a bunch of other people to the Lord. You know, that's really an indicator of salvation. Everybody that really gets saved, you know what they do? They want everybody else to get saved. And they go tell people that they got saved, and they try to get them to come to Christ also. Boy, that's good. That's precious. You know, we lose that over time, that desire for people to get saved. Look, salvation was never intended to be hard, and that's because God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved, men, women, boys, and girls. You know, Jesus said you have to come as a little child. So if we make it hard, that definitely would exclude them, wouldn't it? What about those that are handicapped or shut in? Should we exclude those also? No, Jesus made salvation so simple That even a child, even a a person that's restricted by some handicap or shut-in, they can be saved also. You know, people are saved by believing. It's called faith. Ephesians 2.8.9 says you are saved through faith. John 3.16 says that whosoever believeth. In Acts 16.31 here, Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And you need to remember, repentance is the Holy Spirit's work. It's not our work. Now, yes, we need to to try with, with Christian maturity and a little discernment. We need to try to detect that the person we're witnessing to is under conviction, right? And that there is some repentance going on in their heart, as best we can tell. But that's not our job to place repentance in the heart of someone or to measure it and decide if it's enough. That's the Lord's work. In Acts 26, 28, remember Agrippa said to Paul as he witnessed to him, he was stirred with conviction, but he didn't give in. Remember, he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You know, our testimony is intended to be persuasive. Our testimony, God intended for us to use it to encourage others to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we cannot do that inner work of repentance. The Holy Spirit will do that, and their proper response to that conviction will be to repent and believe. And by the way, what are, what are they repenting of? Not believing. What are they repenting of? They're repenting of trying to do their own works to get to heaven. And you know, that's really what it takes to get to heaven. You've got to stop believing that you can do it, and you got to trust what he did. The finished work of Jesus on the cross, that is salvation. And that's where it comes from. His work, his blood paid for my sins. Not anything that I've ever done or will do. Right? And so we repent. We stop believing that we can be good enough, that we can do some work. And we start trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Hey, be careful how you deal with repentance, because, you know, you can can create a works salvation if if you teach and preach repentance improperly. And I'm telling you, I've heard Baptist preachers do it. Kind of preach salvation and be so heavy on repentance that it sounds like they're saying, if you don't do it like this, if you don't do these things, then you can't be saved. And I'm going, wait, wait, I know this guy, I know he don't really believe that but it sure sounds like that's what he's trying to say. You know, we got to remember that not everybody is going to have the same experience that you have. We have, uh, when we're talking about easy believism, there's a danger of false terms, but there's also a danger of false hope. And that's what a lot of people accuse um, those who witness and those who help others come to Christ. They accuse some people of giving a false hope to people, Right? And, uh, you know, I, I've seen, let me just say this, I've seen some very sloppy soul winners, if you want to call them that. I've seen some people witness and do a terrible job. And I understand why they're saying you can give people a false hope. I get it. But I'm going to tell you this. If, if you do it right, if you pay attention to what you're doing, you're not, you can't give people a false hope. If, you're, if you know a little bit about the Bible, the, I'm going to tell you something. The only way to really give somebody a false hope is to be a false teacher, to be teaching false doctrine. And, and certainly we, we're not doing that. Can a person have false hope of heaven? Think about that. Well, if you give the gospel thoroughly and clearly, then I don't believe you're going to give somebody a false hope. If you emphasize grace and faith, As opposed and apart from works, then you're not going to give somebody a false hope. If you remember that the prayer is not magic, hey, you know, you have to tell them, look, you got to mean this. Right? You can fool me, but God God knows your heart. He he knows whether you really want to be saved or not. Or if you're really just trying to get me to shut up, you know? (laughs) God knows the difference. And we have to tell people that. Hey, we must always allow the person to make a choice. Don't ever pressure someone to get saved. Let them decide. Let them choose. Hey, if they're not ready, then they're not ready. There's also a danger of false teaching. False teaching can come from too much of an emphasis on repentance. I I covered that a moment ago. By the way, not everybody has a Damascus Road experience. You remember Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus? The, the religious terrorist, you remember that? He, he was persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus to do the same. And, and God appeared to him on the Damascus road. A light shined out of heaven. And, and he said, uh, Who art thou, Lord? And, and Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest." It's hard to kick against the pricks. Well, then he said, What wilt thou have me to do? And God sent him uh, into the house of Simon. He waited there. And, and then God took Saul and began to use him. The Bible says in the same chapter... That he arose and was baptized and began began to preach the word of God straightway. And you know, somehow we have it in our minds that everybody that gets saved is going to do that. Man, if somebody gets saved, hey, next Sunday they're going to show up with a haircut and a three piece suit and a King James Bible. Hey, back up one chapter Acts chapter 8. You know what happened in Acts chapter 8? The Ethiopian eunuch got saved. And that's it. The Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. We never heard from that guy again. And I'm sure if there was a lot of modern independent Baptists around in that day, you know what they would have said? Well, I wonder if he really got it. I wonder if it was real. I don't know if your salvation is real. You don't know if mine's real. Right? We just have to take each other's word for it. The Bible says he got saved. Okay? So I think it was real. But it didn't look anything at all like Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus got saved and had a life conversion. You know, we have to remember that not everyone has the same kind of experience. Don't expect other people to have the same salvation experience you had. The soul winner doesn't have to produce repentance in the heart of the convert you know we talked about that john preached repentance jesus preached repentance but the disciples preach the kingdom interesting false teaching can come from too little attention on christ is it christ that saves it is christ that saves not a prayer right we need to speak more about jesus when we share the gospel with people than we talk about the prayer The atonement is made by the blood of Christ. It's not made by the prayer we pray. You know, there's also a danger of false success. We achieve false success in two ways. When we lead someone through a prayer and they don't understand what they're doing. Oh yeah, we come back saying, yeah, this old boy got saved. Really? If you flip-floppity shared verses, you weren't thorough or clear, didn't answer any questions... And you, and, you, and you had somebody pray a prayer when they didn't really understand what they were doing. Then did they really get saved? Now, I have to throw that out because I've, I've literally seen people do that. And on our part, that's irresponsible. Right? Now, look, it's not irresponsible to share what you know. And I don't think you should wait until you think you have everything perfect before you ever start sharing. And I'm not at all preaching that. I am just saying, though, let's slow down a little bit. And if you know you're not giving them the whole story, then don't ask for a response at the end. Right? Just tell them what you know and let God work on their heart and come back later when you learn more. It's okay. You know, every time you witness, you've got to realize that there doesn't have to be a decision right then. Maybe that person's not ready to make a decision. If they are, then help them. If they're not, then let God water the seed you planted. When we refuse to participate in soul winning because we call it easy believism, or when we say because we're not prepared, that can be a a false success also. Think about it. Some people have the problem with, with leading somebody to the Lord or helping them with a prayer And the reason why they have a problem with that is because they're just not sure that you can just talk to somebody and they can get saved. But you need to read your Bible. That happened many times in the scripture. Hey, think about this. This is what some people think. They think, they don't say it. They don't say these things. But they act like this is true. You you tell me if you've ever seen this. They act like people have to be in church to get saved. Have you seen that? Have you heard that? Hey, well, they don't. We went through a salvation series, and all of those people that got saved, none of them were in church. The Bible does not teach that. You don't have to be in this room to get saved in DeRidda, Louisiana. Amen? You could actually be in your living room or on the golf course. You could get saved anywhere where you understand that you need to be saved and somebody's presenting the gospel, and there's conviction from the Holy Spirit, hey, there you go. As long as the ingredients are right, you can trust Christ anywhere, just like you can pray anywhere. Number two, people don't, people don't say this out loud, but they act like, not only do people have to be in church to get saved, but they act like they have to be in church and walk down the aisle. Because that's how we do it in church, you know? They have to walk down the aisle to get saved. H- have you never heard of somebody getting saved after church. I mean, like after the entire service was over. I know a young man one time that was under conviction. He should have walked the aisle, but he didn't. He went home, watched TV, ate some supper, began to work out, trying to do something with all that energy. Boy, he was under conviction. He called the pastor from home, said, man, I didn't go forward in church, but I need to get saved. And he got saved away from church. Can you believe that? It happens. Some people believe, though, that conviction only exists in the church service. And I know because I've heard invitations given, and it sounds like, well, hey, we're about to close the invitation, and uh, if you don't get saved right now, well, like, like Noah's Ark, the door's about to be shut. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We are still in the church age, right? Did you know God has given a a standing offer for this time period? Whosoever will may come. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he didn't say that it had to be during the invitation. He didn't say it had to be in a church building, during a church service, at the altar. Now, I'm glad when it happens that way. I'm just saying it doesn't have to happen that way in order for someone to get saved. Some people actually believe, though they don't say it this way. You can tell by the way they they describe it that they believe that people must be saved under the sound of the preacher's sermon. That's when it happens. But that's not the only time it happens. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what, I, I think it's such a delight. I think it's so much better when people are saved between Sundays And on Sunday, they come and walk the aisle and tell everybody, hey, I got saved this week. Brother so-and-so led me to the Lord. Man, that's so powerful. That's what the early church was doing, by the way. And that's why they had 3,000 saved here and 5,000 saved there. And that's why big things were happening. uh, Because they were going everywhere telling everybody about Jesus. The question, what must I do to be saved? Hey, listen, brethren, there's a lot of people who want to know the answer to that question. I'm glad Paul had an answer, aren't you? Look at verse 31. He said there uh, in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I want to give you some simple thoughts from this answer that Paul gave. All right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know one thing this morning. Believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus is not the same. There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus They'll admit God exists, and they'll say, oh yeah, Jesus, I've heard of him. They believe in Jesus. He's a real person. He died on the cross. He came. I heard that story. But they may not yet have believed on Jesus. What does it mean to believe in or believe on? Well, to believe in Jesus just means to believe that he exists. But to believe on Jesus means to trust him for your soul's salvation. Let me show you a, just a simple illustration. Now I could say this morning, I, I believe this is a chair. Meaning that I, I believe it'll hold me up. It's built for that. You know, you sit on these and, and they they hold you up while you sit. I believe in that chair. I'm just believing that it exists. I'm believing that it's capable. I believe in the chair. But I don't believe on the chair until I rest on it. Now I believe on the chair. You get it? Because now I'm trusting this chair to hold me up. You can tell if this thing gave way, I have have no plan B. I'm all in. So that's the difference between believing in and believing on. And you've got to understand that believing in and on is not the same thing. In James 2.19, Brother James said, Thou believest that there is one God... Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Believing in someone is knowing they exist, but believing on someone is depending on them. And you know, we have to get to a place where we're willing to depend on Jesus and what he did on the cross for our salvation. Again, like I said before, not trusting what we can do or what we have done, but only trusting what Jesus did to take us to heaven that's when we are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ like the songwriter said my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness it's all about him I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name you probably heard the preacher, that the little clips have been shared around. He was talking about the thief on the cross. But he said, he said if, you know, if you died and you went to heaven, and they said, well, why are you here? How would you answer the question? The answer should never be because I, and whatever else you have after that. Because it's not based in any way on what I've done. The reason why I should go to heaven is because he Because of what Jesus did, not because of what I've done. Uh, Because I prayed, wrong answer. Because I believed, wrong answer. Because Jesus died for me, right answer. Number two, you must believe in before you can believe on. Hey, this is so important. Because I don't know if God's really into these Hollywood prayers, you know. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You know what I'm talking about, the TV prayers. God, if you're really up there, uh, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. If you really want help from God, you, you need to establish that first. Do you believe he's up there or not? It's not a real prayer of salvation if you don't even believe he exists yet. Amen? So somebody has to believe in God first before they can call on Jesus and ask him to save him. That's kind of like, would you sit before you believe there's a chair? Would you believe in invisible chairs? No. You're not going to sit here. Because there's no chair here. So there must first be the chair. You have to believe in Jesus before you can believe on Jesus. That makes sense? Somebody who's struggling with the very existence of God, hey, guess what? They're not ready for salvation. Let's take them back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Do you know God doesn't offer any proof of his existence? He just states it. And therein lies man's choice. If you can't get past Genesis 1-1, you're not ready for John 3-16. God states that he is. Now you have a choice. You believe it or not. It's by faith. And by the way, it's the same faith that people have. They put that in something else other than Jesus when they believe that the world came to be by some other way. Millions of years. That's a faith also. There's no evidence for that. All of that is theory. All of that is, they accept that theory by faith. They're putting their trust in something. You've heard people say, uh, as long as you believe. Believe what? Hey, there's a problem with that. You know, sometimes the world thinks, well, as long as you believe, you're okay. No, no, no. The question is not your faith or your belief. The question is the object of your faith. Where do you put your faith? If you're putting your faith in this world, if you're putting your faith in man, if you're putting your faith in in evolution and, and other theories of existence, then you're putting it in the wrong place. You're building on the wrong foundation. It's that sinking sand. But you have to put your faith in the right place. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ and His Word. God and his word, that's where we put our faith. It's not our faith so much as it is as where we put our faith. The object of our faith is powerful, and that's what saves us. Not the fact we believe, but the fact that we believed on him. That's what's so good. So it's not enough to believe. You have to believe in the right thing. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, the sinner's prayer doesn't contain the word if. Salvation comes through faith. That's believing. For by grace are you saved through faith. So when a person believes in God, they're a candidate then for the gospel. First, they have to hear the bad news. They have to hear about the fall of man. They have to know why we need a savior. Did you know God went through a long ordeal to teach his people that? The entire Old Testament was about that. All the ceremonies, the laws, Paul said those things, that was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Listen, people aren't ready to hear about the grace and mercy of God until they first understand the guilt of their sins. And that's why we start with that. They hear the bad news first. Look what happened in Genesis. Adam and Eve fell away from God plunged the human race into sin. Now we're, we're born as sinners and we're born apart from God in our, in our fellowship. Jesus died to redeem us back. And without him, we have no hope. But because of him, we can be, we can be placed, we can be adopted into the family of God. Our sins can be forgiven, washed away. And, and when we get to that point, we want to understand that believing on the Lord Requires commitment. It requires decision. It requires trust. John 1.12 says, to them, that, or to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now look, I'm not really trying to play on words this morning. I'm trying to give you a concept. In and on. Just believing in God, just acknowledging that God exists is not enough, but it is a start. And once a person does believe in God and in Jesus Christ, they, they may then be given the gospel and have a chance to believe on him. To once and for all place their trust on the finished work of Christ on the cross. And that can save them. So that's what John 1 12 is all about. Then gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You must commit your heart's trust to him alone. You must commit your entire being to his care. It's kind of like sitting in this chair. I can say I believe it all day long, but listen to me. If I tell you I believe in this chair, I believe it. It'll hold me up, it'll hold you up. But if I refuse to sit in this chair, then what would you think about my belief? I'm saying I believe in it, but I won't sit in it. Will you come sit in it? I would think you might be a little hesitant to sit down in that chair if you knew I wouldn't sit in it. Right? And that's why it's so important to believe on, to make that commitment to fully trust. In order to do that, you have to stop believing in what you can do. The Bible says, repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so you know what? We have to stop trying. We have to stop working. The Bible says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Right? The way we're declared righteous is by the finished work of Jesus Christ, not by our works. You see, we've got to understand, there is nothing in this world in a lifetime there's nothing I could do to save myself. And when I understand that, I should be all too willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting him alone. It's kind of like this. Would you get on an airplane and while you're going through the air, are you going to be helping it out? You're going to help the airplane, right? That's so silly. And that's how silly it is to think you've got to do something. You've got to be something in order to help the Lord save you. You know, it's interesting because Christians have doubted their salvation because of some of these same thoughts. Uh, well, I, let's see, did I, did, I really, did I pray good enough? Did I say the right words? Did I really understand all the theology? Hey, I'm going to tell you what. We, no, none of us understand all the theology behind all that. Study the Bible all you want to. This side of heaven, there's only so much we're going to get. Jesus said, come as a little child. That tells me he, he, he wasn't, there was no understanding requirement. Kids don't understand theology. That's not required. Here's the question. Did you mean it? Did you call upon him from your heart? Were you sincere? Done. If you called on Jesus and asked him to save you, understanding you could not save yourself, he did. And anything else you do is like flapping your arms on an airplane. It's not helping at all. What God really wants is for you to sit back and enjoy the ride. He's got this. And if you're going to do anything else, it should be giveaway free tickets bring somebody with you amen with salvation this easy and it is this easy because jesus did all the work why would we not bring as many as we can with us praise the lord believe on the lord jesus christ paul said and thou shalt be saved there was no ifs. there's no question. It was definite. May we be as definite also as we share the gospel with others. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. People want to twist that scripture, you know, where the Bible says the people that are going to heaven are the ones that do the will of God. Jesus said, this is the will, that you believe on him that he has sent. There it is, simple. It's not about works, it's about faith, and putting your faith in the right object, the person of Jesus Christ, the finished work that he did on the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews, he by himself purged us from our sins. And when he did that, he went to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Done. In order to be saved, all we have to do is believe on him. That's it. Isn't that good? If you're here and you've never been saved, I invite you to do that today. Put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. He'll take care of you. If you have been saved, then I want to invite you to tell everybody how easy it is to come to Christ They can be forgiven of their sins. They can be born into the family of God by believing on His name. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, let's ask God to help us as we spread the message. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you, Lord, for the power of these simple truths. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put our faith and trust in the right place the Lord Jesus, for the salvation of our souls. And we pray you'd help us as we share the message with others. May they too come to Christ before it's too late. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.